The following message, entitled, Freed to Surrender, Part 17 of the series, A Righteousness from God, was given by Bob Mundorf on June 1st, 2014 at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. You would help me to be faithful as I preach and teach your word. Lord, I, I declare my dependence upon you. Jesus, you said we can do nothing apart from you. I ask you to be with me and help me as I preach this morning. And Lord, help us. You said, Jesus, when you prayed for believers, you said, sanctify them in your word. Your word is truth. And we believe that, Lord. We believe your word is truth. And we pray that you would sanctify us through it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Romans chapter 6. While you're turning there, I want to ask you if, if you've ever heard the expression, a little bit of knowledge can be a dangerous thing. A little bit of knowledge can be a dangerous thing. And you see that sometimes on America's Funniest Home Videos when you know, the guy knows how to cut a tree down, but that's about all he knows, and then it falls and crushes his house. You probably watched a YouTube video on how to cut a tree down, got a little bit of knowledge, and turned into a dangerous thing. One time, I was in for a medical procedure, and uh, as I'm lying there, just before the, the surgery, the surgeon leans down and says to me in a low voice, don't worry, I watched an instructional video last night on how to do this. <laughs> it's a true story. It wasn't very comforting just before the drugs kicked in. You want to make sure he knows what he's doing. And I'm sure a lot of us can think of times when we, we thought we had a handle on something, we really thought we knew, but then later found out we didn't know a lot. We only knew a little bit. And uh, it's, it's a true saying, a little bit of knowledge can be a dangerous thing. And we're going to see that this morning, that when it comes to certain biblical doctrines, biblical teachings, especially ones like law and grace, a little bit of knowledge can be a dangerous thing. Last week we ended with Romans chapter 6, verse 14, where it says that we're not under the law anymore, but we're under grace. And if we just stopped there, if Paul had stopped the book right there and never said anything else, that would be a very dangerous place to be. We would, we would have a, a right premise, a little bit of knowledge about grace. We're not under the law, we're under grace. But we could go to a lot of different wrong conclusions without further knowledge, further explanation. And uh, that's what Paul is going to do today. He's going to take us through uh, what that means for us. One of the things that means for us in these next nine verses, verse 15 through 23, Paul knew that you can form wrong conclusions from just what he has said so far about grace. So, what we're going to look at today, I want to just try to break this up a little bit before we go into verses 14 through 23 by asking us a couple questions just to be thinking about as I'm preaching. Uh, one, one question. In light of grace, can I indulge in just one sin? I mean, can't I? Can't I just indulge in, like, one sin? How about this one? In light of grace, 
Am I still a slave? We talked a lot last week about how we were freed, we were redeemed from the bondage of sin. Am I still a slave? Paul talks about it. He uses that word today in our scripture. How about this one? In light of grace, what will one little sin once in a while cost me? One little sin. I mean, come on. What's the big deal? Or in light of grace, who's the boss? And this, that's what it really comes down to. So I want you to ask yourselves those questions as we look through this passage today. Let's start in Romans chapter 6, verse 14, and just review 14 as we ended there last week, and read 15 as well. It says this, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? So that word for at the beginning of this verse is a a link to everything that came before. He's basing what he's saying here, his question, on all of the information that came before. And if we just back up for a minute, take a broad look at this book. We remember that back in chapters 1 and 2 and some of 3, Paul put an indictment out. He declared every single human being guilty as charged of sinning before God. And then, in middle of chapter 3 through chapter 4 and 5, he showed us our desperate need for grace. Because we're guilty, we cannot work our way into salvation or heaven. So, he showed us our desperate need for grace, God's favor to us. And he explained that in Jesus Christ's coming in the flesh, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, that He supplies all the grace that we could ever need. And he he ends that argument at the end of chapter 5 where he says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So what he's saying there is, you know, if you're... If your sin is this high, like if you're at this level of sin, grace is higher. If your sin is this high, grace is higher. No matter how much you've sinned in your lifetime, His grace abounds to you if you have believed the Gospel, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. So He wants us to know that. But if He stops there, at the end of chapter 5, He knows that we could begin to form very wrong conclusions from that information. So, fortunately, he keeps going. And that's why he poses this this hypothetical question like the one posed today in verse 15 where it says, what then, are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? Now, you've probably noticed by now in Romans, Paul frequently does this thing where he brings questions in like that, where... If you're tracking with him and you're following his argument, you're understanding it, you're getting what he says, he'll, he'll ask a hypothetical question that he knows someone would ask if they're tracking with that information. And Paul, preaching in Rome and Ephesus and all these places, he probably had been asked this question quite a few times. Are, are we to just sin because grace abounds where our sin is? Should we just keep sinning? And, you know, we, Mark and Joe and I as pastors, when we preach passages like Romans chapter 5, it's actually encouraging when someone asks that question. Well, what do you mean? I can just live however I want? Because we know that they're tracking with Romans 5. They're tracking with this grace that Paul's explaining 
Because, hey, if Paul got asked that question after he explained it, it's a compliment when someone asks that question. But we don't want to just stop there. Paul has an answer for these kinds of questions. Now, you might be thinking, when we read the question in verse 15, didn't we hear this before? I mean, if you were here uh, two weeks ago when Joe started into Romans chapter 6, you heard a very similar question. Back in 6.1, take a look. It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? See, that's not exactly the same question. It's similar, but it's not exactly the same question. Paul here in 6.1, as Joe explained, is talking about our initial salvation experience because of this grace that I now know that I have in Jesus, because it doesn't depend at all on my performance, because I'm saved by believing in His work, does that mean I can just continue to live a wild life of sin? That's what he says here. Can I continue? It's, it's an ongoing uh, present tense in the Greek. It's, he's talking about just an ongoing, continuous, wild life of sin. And he answers, no, certainly not, by no means, and explains the reason why in verses 1 through 14. And that's what we talked about the last couple of weeks. This question's a little bit different in verse 15. He's not saying, shall I just continue in a life of sin? But he's saying here, can I commit a sin? Now, now that I find myself in this state of grace as a believer, what about like a little sin here or there? I mean, is there an allowance for that? I mean, if we're forgiven, if our salvation is secure because we believe the gospel, argument he made back in chapter 3, not by works, not by human performance. I'm forgiven because I believe this message about Jesus. Can't I just indulge in a little sin here or there? I mean, why not, right? And that's what he's asking here in 15. Are we to sin? It's a singular. It's an aorist tense in the Greek. It just means one little sin because we're under grace and we're not under law anymore. So can't I indulge in just one sin. You might think things like, hey, I'm, I'm under grace. Um, can I not just tell this lie that will save me from tons of consequences that I've gotten myself into where if I told the truth, I would have to really pay for this? Can't I just tell this one little lie? I mean, I'm under grace. I'm forgiven, right? God will forgive me. Or why not cheat on my schoolwork or my taxes? Um, God will forgive me. Why not take that thing from my workplace? I'm under grace. It's all covered in grace, right? I mean, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Why not? Why not click on that website? I mean, you go on. Why not sleep with my girlfriend? Why not share that juicy bit of gossip? Why not take one extra drink at the party and get drunk? Why not do these things? I'm under grace, right? I mean, one little sin won't hurt, will it? That's what Paul's asking. You know how it goes in your mind, too. Um, for me, it's like the thought comes in, the temptation comes. We talked about this last week. Satan provides some temptation for us, puts us in a situation, or we go into the situation where we have the thought, hey, that would be fun, or that would save me trouble. And you begin to entertain that thought. That's your first mistake. You get last week's audio recording if you didn't hear it. And you think, hmm... Why not? My, my salvation's secure. Um, I've had this thought 
overcoming temptation is so hard, especially this one. I think I'll just give in and get it out of my system. And then I'll be okay. I'll confess my sin and uh, God and I will be fine. You know, he'll, he'll be alright with that. Everything will be hunky-dory. That's the wrong way of thinking. But that's a conclusion that you could come to if you just stopped at chapter 5 of Romans. I battle with that kind of thinking all the time. I, I think most of us who understand grace the way it's laid out in the Bible, probably battle with that kind of thinking. You probably have those thoughts. Why can't I just indulge in a sin here or there? Well, God's Word gives a a lot of answers to that question. We're just in Romans 6 today, so we're going to look at what I think is the most basic answer. But God's Word gives many reasons not to do that. You're not to take advantage of or abuse the grace of God. Uh, the Bible calls this willfully sinning or trampling the Son of God underfoot. And he says, for example, that God disciplines and chastens those He loves. He says, in, the Bible says that there are a loss of eternal rewards when we do this. There's the quenching of the Spirit. There, there are uh, hindering of your prayers, it says in 1 Peter 3. When we do this, our prayers actually get hindered. You're destroying your testimony when you do this. And you're disgracing the name of God when you do this. And that, those are great reasons. But here, I think he gives us the most basic reason in these next nine verses. This is where he gives us this critical information that, that we really got to get. So let's start into it. Romans 6.15 uh, B, at the end of 15, he says, by no means, that's his answer. And in 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So Paul says the same response initially that he says back in verse 1, by no means. It's the Greek word meganoita. It's in different translations. God forbid. Certainly not. You know, no way. May it never be. And throughout the New Testament, when Paul asks the question and answers with this response, most of the time, all but one, for uh, all but one, in fact, he's he's giving a response that responds to a question that has the right premise, the right basis, but has the wrong conclusion. So the questioner got the he got grace. He knows what grace is, but drew a wrong conclusion from that information about what grace is. So Paul says no. That attitude's inappropriate for a person who's living under grace. And here's why. Verse 16 again. Don't you know? See, this is about knowing information again. We've got to understand this doctrine. We've got to know this. Don't you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So this verse contains both a universal truth that we should know and a moral principle. The universal truth in this verse is that really there are only two pathways for all of us in this life. There are only two pathways 
And the moral principle that goes with that is when we yield to either one of them, that to which we yield becomes our master. Last week I, I mentioned that you know, for the Christian, millions of times in your life, you know, probably dozens or hundreds of times every day, you're going to have to make a decision. You're going to be faced with a temptation. You're going to be faced with a choice where you have to choose one of these two pathways. And understanding this leads us to the question, well, am I still a slave? Because he's saying here that you're a slave of whoever you obey. Last week we talked about how we were redeemed and we were freed from the slavery of sin. And that's true. That leads us to the question, am I still a slave? Well, we, we really are. It's like this, a song that Bob Dylan wrote back in the 70s uh, called, you got to serve somebody. He was right. you got to serve somebody. No matter what you're doing at any given time, you are serving some master. Now, remember what it means when we talk about being a slave to sin. Remember what the word sin means. Sin means in the Bible to, to miss the mark of God's righteous standard. So God has laid out His righteous standards for us, and when we miss the mark of that, when we grieve the Holy Spirit when He's telling us which way to go, when we go against God's Word and go our own way, we're sinning. And Jesus said that you can fulfill the whole law in two commandments. You can love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And so that tells us that when we are loving, in, in this biblical love of devotion, devotion to God, devotion to one another, when we're actively loving, we're not going to sin. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. When we are loving Him, we will not sin. But there are times every day when we're tempted to do something selfish that's not loving toward others, not loving toward God, when we're tempted to stray off of the path of obedience. And when we do that, every time we do that, we're sinning, but we're also pledging allegiance to another master. Jesus said, Jesus said this, He said, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Peter said something similar. He said, for whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. That's what our passage is telling us here. Think about the last time you committed a sin. Just remember that time. Remember what was going on in your heart. Remember what you did wrong. What you did here, according to this passage, is you temporarily put yourself back under your old slave master. As believers, that's what we do every time we commit a sin. Temporarily pledging allegiance to our old slave master. That's what this verse, verse 16, is telling us. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Last week I had the opportunity to uh, speak to about 12 people at a local drug and alcohol rehab that Joe and I go to often to evangelize or to encourage believers who are there. And uh, in that group of 12 people, there were a number of, of believers there. And I, I got to tell them, I got to go through this passage with them and tell them that when they give in to their addiction, their, when they use their substance of choice, 
what they're doing really is they're letting sin reign in their mortal body. And they're making it their master. They're enslaving themselves. They're actually worshiping this idol that they're using when they use, instead of worshiping God. That's what we do. They, they get that. The people that I talk to there get that. They, they say, I know, I know, and pray for me and help me. I want to fight this if they're believers. And I wonder sometimes, for those of us who maybe aren't, aren't addicted to a substance or you know, we're struggling with different kinds of sins, do, do we get that? Paul wants us to get that. He wants us to know that when we sin, we are we're making it our slave master. We're obeying that sin. And we're turning our back on our true slave master, the Lord Jesus. Paul wants us to know this truth. I like how Peter put it. Peter was a guy who just said things how, how they were. And he said when we do this, it's like a dog returning to its vomit. That's, that's what it is. It's disgusting to God. It's not like God just winks at our sin because we're under grace. It's disgusting to Him when we sin, even when we just give in one time. Paul, in, in verses 17 through 19, reminds us again of our true position. And I love how he does this. He keeps doing this over and over again. And, and as we said last week, it's not just, he doesn't do this because, you know, it's like the power of positive thinking. And he's trying to tell you to just tell yourself this and you'll believe it if you hear it enough. This is true. This is biblical thinking. And he wants us to get it. So he tells us over and over again. He does that again in 17. He says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have been set free from sin. See, before, we, we were not free from sin. We were in bondage to our sin nature. Remember last week, if you heard the message, the zombie, that flesh that we carry around that, that tries to tell us what to do because he used to tell us everything that we did and we obeyed him. We're not in bondage to him anymore. We're not in bondage to that sin nature anymore. We've been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. That's, that's positionally who we are. We are now slaves to a new Master. Jesus Christ, His commandments, His righteousness. Paul says in 19, he says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now... Here's his exhortation for us. Present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. He's telling us again what he told us last week. He's telling us to be who we are. To align our condition in life with our position in life that's been granted to us through our union with Christ. He wants us to be who we are. We are no longer slaves of sin. We once were slaves of sin. One of my favorite Old Testament books is the book of Exodus. And I love how the book of Exodus, and God does this so many times in the Old Testament, gives us a picture of a spiritual reality that we can 
understand better in the New Testament if we look at it. And he did this in the book of Exodus with what we're talking about here. Back then, God's chosen people, Israel, had been enslaved to the Egyptian Pharaoh. They were slaves of Pharaoh, but God sent a mediator named Moses, who was a type, a picture of Christ back then, to deliver them from their slavery in Egypt. And leaving Egypt behind, they crossed the Red Sea and went on their journey to the Promised Land. This is a picture of what God did for us that we talked about the last couple of weeks. He redeemed us from our slavery to that sin nature, which was all we could really do before. Again, not to say that we only did like evil things before, but we did what we most wanted to do. We followed our free will before, which was to obey the sin nature. But God redeemed us from that. And He freed us to walk in newness of life. And that's a picture, this, this Exodus story is a picture of that. Now, on their journey to the promised land, Israel had a whole bunch of inner conflict going on. A whole bunch of struggle, inner struggle going on with like who they really were and what they really wanted. And that's a picture of what we're talking about today, kind of, and what we'll be talking about in the future in Romans as well. Israel, at times, even though God was in their midst, enabling them to make this journey to the promised land, they at times failed to acknowledge Him. They failed to follow Him. They actually, at at times, didn't let go of their past and wanted to go back into slavery in Egypt. And at times, we can do the same thing. Even as believers who have been redeemed and empowered and enabled with the Holy Spirit to obey these commands, we can have this conflict in us. That sounds, sounds really familiar, but we have to remember. We have to remember not to go by our feelings, not to go by our feelers, but to go by our thinkers. The Word of God. We need to know and consider these truths And we need to act on them. That's all this passage is calling us to do. To act on what God has done in us. To access the grace that He's given us. We can do that. Jesus said, If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And when we we are free, we're freed from that slavery of sin to surrender to our new Master, Jesus Christ. We really have no excuse, guys. We, every time we choose to sin, we have no excuse. We've been enabled. We've been redeemed. And we make that decision and we're responsible for it when we sin. Because God has made a way for us. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. And that's so true. Every time we sin, we're turning our back on our true master and we're serving our old slave master. And we don't need to do that. We no longer need to do that anymore. Now Paul says in 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. And all he's saying there is, he's using this slave-master analogy in this section of Scripture because he wants us to understand what he's talking about. He wants us to get this spiritual truth that he's talking about. So he's putting physical things that we know about 
in this to represent this, the spiritual truths that are going on. And, and people in Rome would have really understood this. Because in Rome, it wasn't uncommon for people back then to actually sell themselves into slavery for a period of time to pay off a debt or to get something out of the deal. So sometimes people in Rome would, would sell themselves for a couple days or a week into slavery to get something out of that. Or if somebody had a whole lot of debt, they might have to go into slavery for 10 years or 20 years or even their whole life. We do this. When we sin, when we take that road, that pathway that is the pathway towards sin, we are temporarily selling ourselves into sin slavery again. You know, we, we weigh the fleeting pleasure of whatever that sin will bring us. What, will this, what kind of pleasure will this sin bring us? It's a selfish thing, again. It's a self-serving thing. And we, we give ourselves to that sin. We make it our master. And we often don't realize what that costs us because we're under this great benefit of grace we just kind of blow it off like it doesn't cost us anything. It's no big deal. But Paul talks about this. What will sin, what will one sin cost me? I'm not talking about a lifestyle of sin because if you want to know what that's going to cost you, you can look at Hebrews chapter 10 or Hebrews chapter 12 and it's not a good place to be. But what will one little sin here and there cost me? Well, Paul goes on and explains. In verse 19, he, he just said, we read this, that just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. It's like the, I think that old potato chip commercial was it Lay's or something. You can't eat just one. That's what sin's like. You, you can't do just one because it leads to more. It, it has an addictive type of thing to it. Sin leads you to more sin. And when you go down that road once, you might think, oh, this is okay, I got this. The Bible says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You will become addicted. The more and more sin you, 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 you indulge in, the harder it is to turn from that. Now, I need to remind us here, we, we, we have been freed, we have the power of the Holy Spirit, but the Bible tells us the man reaps what he sows. And if you indulge in sin after sin after sin, it's going to be hard. You might think you got this, but you don't. Lawlessness leads to more lawlessness. I mean, sin is like going downhill. It just gets easier and easier. You know this. If you've experienced any kind of pattern of sin in your life, and I think we all have, you know what it's like. The more you do it, the harder it is to get out of. One pastor said, Sin will take you further than you ever wanted to stray, keep you longer than you ever intended to stay, and cost you a whole lot more than you ever dreamed you'd pay. When I heard him say it, he said it in a southern accent, it sounded a lot cooler than what I just said. But I think that's why some pastors... Did you ever notice that some pastors will just... Even if they're from the north, they begin to start speaking in a southern... Like with a southern draw. I don't know why. Maybe it's... Anyways. Sin will take you further than you ever wanted to stray, keep you longer than you ever intended to stay, and cost a whole lot more than you ever dreamed you'd pay. It's, I was reminded of this truth this week. I was reading an article in the Indiana Gazette about 
the, um, the rampant heroin problem in our area. And the article said that uh, for most people, most people it said, um, trying heroin just one time will make them addicted for the rest of their life. And uh, it'll just make you, it'll, it'll give you that craving that you will have for the rest of your life is what it said. And, um, you know, sin is, is like that. Now, I've said this before, we all have different sin appetites, like we have different food appetites. You know, you might, um, you might like this sin, I might like this sin. And I think we all have different responses to these sins. All sin is bad, but there are certain ones who are like your, you know, your spiritual heroine. I mean, you might do them once or twice and you just, it's so hard to stop might be grumbling or jealousy or anger or lust, um, envy. You might even be addicted to drugs like heroin. You might be a believer and have used these things or done these things. And I want to tell you that if you haven't, don't, because sin will snowball. The more we give in to them, the more enslaved they become. That's what Paul wants us to know here in this passage. The more you sin, the more you destroy this life that God's called you to. And I've seen it, even in my short time as a pastor, I've seen this. I've seen believers who have destroyed and damaged lives because of the choices that they've made, because of the sin choices that they've made. And Paul is, in one sense, warning us here not to do this. Now, we can, and I want to keep reminding us like Paul does, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have been enabled to overcome the power of sin. But you can make it stronger by giving in. It, I read a story this week about a blacksmith. This is a story from a long time ago in the Middle Ages. This blacksmith was arrested and chained to a wall in a dungeon. And uh, being a blacksmith, he began to look at the, the metal that this chain was made out of to, to see if there was a weak link anywhere. So he knew metal. He was a blacksmith. And he, he's working up the links, and he gets to this one link that bore the insignia of his own workmanship. And he prided himself in creating chains that didn't have a weak link. And he dropped the chain right there, and he knew that this chain was strong. But he, the point is, he was bound with the chain of his own making. When we as believers give ourselves to our old slave master over and over and over again, we are creating new links. We're binding ourselves with chains of our own making. We're like that blacksmith. Sin leads to more sin. But, at the end of verse 19 we're told, so now... Present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. So we've got, we've got these words in these pa- this passage like leading to over and over again. Lawlessness and purity leads to more lawlessness and purity. Sin, back in verse 16, leads to death. And then here in 19, present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. So we've got these two paths. This, this universal truth that we only have two choices in life. And 
these are big road signs telling us where they lead. This one, this one, presenting your members as slaves to, to righteousness, to your new master, leads to a good place. Not the bad places we've been talking about. It leads to a good place. It leads to sanctification. Sanctification is just a word that, that means being set apart for God. We use it in different ways. We use it as a one-time thing when we're justified, we're sanctified and set apart as God's people, but we also use it in a more progressive way. And that's what this is talking about. As Christians who are presenting ourselves to God, we're being more and more sanctified. We're becoming more and more like Him and able to be used for His glory. So, this is telling us here, who's the boss? Who is the boss? I mean, we've got this choice. We can make old sin nature our boss, or we can make the real boss, Jesus Christ, our boss. And we've got to ask ourselves, who's the boss? And when you're tempted to sin, this tells us what to do. This is like, I mean, last week we had four steps, and I encourage you to listen to them, but this is simplified here. This is Romans 1, 6, 1 through 14, simplified just tells us, present. Present yourselves to member to, as slaves of righteousness. Present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. That's what we've got to do. When we're tempted to sin, the moment we come to that fork in the road, the moment we have that choice, we've got to present. We've got to... How do you do this? Present is an active word. It's, it's, it's surrender... It's yield, but it's more active. It's praying. It's quoting a scripture. That's how Jesus presented. Remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? What did he do? He quoted a scripture. He brought it to mind. He had it in there, stored up in his heart that he wouldn't sin. And that's exactly what we as believers need to do. We need to present. We need to somehow do something like quote a scripture, somehow pray. I'll give you a great example. Mark was sharing this with me last week. It's a great example of how to do this. Back in Genesis chapter 39, uh, a man named Joseph did this when he was put in a tempting situation. Joseph worked for a wealthy man named Potiphar. And uh, Potiphar's wife was like one of the original real desperate housewives of Egypt, I guess. She was hanging out in the house and... She tried to seduce Joseph. It tells us in Genesis 39 what happened. It says, But one day, when he went into the house to do this work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But what did Joseph do? He was at the fork in the road, probably tempted to sin, and he chose the right path. It says, He left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Boom! Just like that. He took the way of escape. He took the window. If he had stayed there for a little bit longer and considered the thought and entertained the thought, he probably would have been done. But Joseph presented his members, his body, to God as an instrument of righteousness and not to sin as an instrument of death and evil. Joseph is a great example. He took action. He knew who his master was and he left sin in the dust. And Joseph was more and more sanctified. And you and I can 
do that same thing because of what we learned the last couple weeks. I know it doesn't feel like it sometimes, but we can. So Paul ends this section with a strong reminder for us to align our actions and choices with this new position that we have. And when we do that, he says we'll bear fruit leading to sanctification on our way to the promised land. Verses 20 through 23. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which, of which you are now ashamed? For in the end of those things, for the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's telling us here, don't go back. Don't go back. There was a time when you were free in regard to righteousness. What does that mean? That's like, like we say fat-free chips or sugar-free pop. It's like it doesn't have any in it. And there was a time when you were in bondage to sin that you didn't have any righteousness. You might have thought you were doing good things. I mean, there are unbelievers who are giving money to great causes. They're helping orphans. But God says for those who aren't in Christ, their righteousness, their righteous deeds are like filthy rags to Him. You have to be united with Christ to make anything count eternally. And we are. That's what we've been talking about. So there was a time when we were free in regard to righteousness. Back then we only had one slave master. All we could do was miss the mark. But in verse 21 he says, think about the fruit that you were getting when you did those things that you used to do. I mean, you, might have been, you might have been doing really evil things and you were getting a lot of bad consequences, bad fruit from those things. You might have been doing really good things and you were getting a lot of pride and you were puffing yourself up. That's evil to God too. That's bad fruit. You might have been, who knows, rescuing orphans. But you were probably, if you were not a believer, just doing it so that you could look better or feel better about yourself. And it was pride. And Paul says, think about the fruit that you were getting when you did those things you used to do. Those things, he says, bring shame and death. They're not your identity anymore. He says in, in 1 Corinthians when he lists these things, he says, and such were some of you. These, we have to keep reminding ourselves this is not who we are, and so we need to catch up our condition with our position and become who we are. That's what Paul's doing here. He reminds us of our new position in verse 22 where he says, but now that you have been set free from sin." and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. We're to surrender to our true Master every minute of every day and we will get this kind of fruit, this sanctification. We'll get the fruit of the Spirit when we do this. We live an active life of surrendering to our new Master. We're going to have the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control as characteristics of our life. Those were characteristics of Jesus' life 
And we're, we're united with Him. And now when we walk in Him, we'll look like Him. Colossians tells us, just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted in Him, and build up in the faith. We're, we're to do this thing that I'm telling us to do, present ourselves, the same way that we came to faith in Him. We believed in Him. We walked by faith, not by sight. We're to walk by the Spirit. And we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. That's what, that's what He's offering us to, uh, to us here. This, this is what the Bible calls, I'm going to break out the Greek again, but the word life. When Jesus said that you will have life abundantly. There's a, there are many words for the word life. This is zoe. This means the highest quality of life that you can have here on this earth. And it's the word used in eternal life. And we can have eternal life beginning now. You can actually, I mean, you know, we think of eternal life like something that starts when we die or Jesus comes back. God wants us to experience this kind of life starting now. This Zoe life, this life to the fullest. And He's telling us here that we can experience this life. We've got to choose to engage in this power that He's offered us. Every decision we make, every second of every day. And if we don't, we're destroying our life. We're experiencing the opposite. We're experiencing death, separation from God. When we, when we sin, we're turning. We're separating ourselves from Him. That's one of the things that the Bible talks about when it says death. Separation from God. For the wages of sin, it says in verse 23, is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, if you believed in Jesus, if you believed the Gospel, you have eternal, everlasting life. Nothing can take that away from you. It's forever. You can't, you can't sin yourself out of that. Because where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. But there are so many other reasons not to sin. We don't want to destroy our lives in this world. We want to walk in true spiritual life. So I'm going to end with a couple exhortations from the Scriptures. This is what Joshua told Israel after they were delivered. From the, after they were delivered from slavery in Egypt and were, in prom, or were on their journey, he said this, Put away the gods that your fathers served and choose this day whom you will serve. That exhortation applies to us today. Every day of our lives. Here's, here's the truth that, that we must know. You are not your own. For you have been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. That's what we've been talking about. Jesus bought us, not only out of slavery to sin, but into a new kind of slavery. The right kind. The good kind. The kind where joy and true life comes. You've got to choose. You want to make your life miserable? Or do you want to walk in this newness of life? that we, He's given us the power and potential to do. Here's what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray this. I, I believe that God, according to Philippians 2, 
works in us both to will and to work for His good pleasure. That part, will, means your desire. And as we're going to see in Romans 7, you might have conflicting desires. Your, your want to might be a little bit off track. I believe that God will take that want to and recalibrate it back toward the right direction if we ask Him. So we're going to pray that God would work in us now to change our will so that we really want to do this and engage in this power that He's made possible for us. Let's stand, I'll pray, and we can have the band come up and we'll sing one more song. Father, You have told us that You work in us both to will and to work for Your good pleasure. Lord, we, we confess that at times, as believers, we are attracted to our old slave master. We are attracted to the old way of life sometimes. And I know that shouldn't be the norm for us, Lord. You have so much more for us. But Lord, we want to be real. That's, that's just... Sometimes we experience that. And so, I pray, and I've, you know, I've prayed this personally many times. I pray this on our behalf, Lord, as a, as a congregation here, as a body, an assembly of Your people, that You would work in us to will to desire Your good pleasure, Lord. In, in times especially when it's hard and we really want to turn back into slavery of sin, at those times, Lord, we, we need You. We are desperate for You. We, we ask You to work in us, to will, and then to work for Your good pleasure, to flee sin, to obey You. Lord, we, we know that you want to do this like Mark said this morning. You are more interested in our sanctification than even we are. And that's why we're asking you this, Lord. Would you do this for us? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.